Well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Aaron Daly, and uh, Redemption Peoria has a very uh, special place in my heart. I'm so thankful that John asked me to uh, come and speak today and be here because the last time I was here, this place looked a lot different. But here's what I love about being able to come back after about a year and a half and be with you all. Isn't God so good to faithfully take you from where you were to where you are now? Can you say amen to that? If you don't remember me that well, I do not get scared when people say amen. You know, I'm more worried about, worried about scaring you than you should be worried about scaring me, okay? I just to remind you, uh, if you don't know who I am, that's all good because uh, a lot of you are new here, but there was about eight months that I got to spend with you all during a, a pivotal time in your history and in your story to be able to be in this place and to be able to be with this staff and to be able to develop relationships in kind of an interim period as God was doing some stuff. And it was such a special time for me to be able to be over here. I love Redemption Peoria and I love your pastors. How many of you love your pastors? And uh, can you give, uh, they're not here, but you know what, you should text them now <laughs> and tell them thank you. You know, John is a dear friend of mine and I'm very thankful for his leadership, his friendship, and uh, just to be a part of a uh, relationship with him and Tree and all of them, it's, it's just been really incredible. So as he's out on the beach doing something uh, relaxing, he asked me to open up this series on money. Uh, he's like, who's the most offensive person I could find out to kind of come in? It's strategic for John. Here's the reason why. If I come in, I'm good in doses. Like, I'm not great, like, over a long period of time. I'll come in and kind of wreck the place and then leave, and then he could come in and hug you all. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a strategy of his. Uh, and, and so I, I get a little bit passionate and a little bit wild. And I, I, can, I can be, I went, I went and preached at Gateway. And, um, and this is one of our other congregations. And when I got done, the pastor asked one of, his, uh, one of his kids, how did you like Aaron? He was great. He was so passionate. I just don't know if I could have him every week, you know. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the kind that you don't want to take home, but I'm great for like a, you know, I'm great for like a real wild weekend once in a while, you know what I'm saying? So as we uh, gather together uh, and get around God's word, what I love is that at Redemption, uh, we prioritize we prioritize God's word in a way of navigating through all of these books of the Bible. But then sometimes we will take moments together to kind of gather around a topic that is really important, particularly as we see ourselves in this context in the West. It's important for us to recognize that as we talk about money, um, this is going to be a sensitive spot for many of us. It's going to be close to our hearts. 
And so when something is this close to your heart, it shows you that money is not just something you have, it's something you're in a relationship with. And this series is not just about how to take care of your money. It's actually far more about your relationship to money and how it's forming you and affecting your life. The scriptures say in Luke that actually uh, money is one of God's primary rivals. Have you ever thought of it in this way? That actually when God says you can't serve two masters, he doesn't say you can't serve God and Satan. He says you can't serve God and money. That the thing competing for your affections and for your service and for your commitment is not just your relationship to sin and your relationship to Satan. Actually, money is competing for your affections to God. It's rivaling all of the things that you should be serving God. You see, money has a very interesting place in our lives and in our society and in culture. It really is after our affections. And so what I want to do today is kind of set the tone by by showing you as you're going through this series, you need to pay attention to your heart. And here's, here's what I mean by this. Some things that we do when we come to church, we can kind of get into uh, spaces, if you will, where we like to just kind of be intellectually inspired and we like to kind of think deeply about Scripture, but we do not want God to go after the affections of our heart. We just kind of want to think about some stuff. My prayer is that in some way, as you start to feel defensive, here, when you love something, you'll protect it. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Listen, go after me, that's one thing, but go after something I love, a, a, a whole other side is going to come out of me. So when, when we're talking about money, if you start to feel your, your dukes go up and you're like, no, don't, don't talk about it. That's because you love it. And even you might start protecting your money against God. I mean, there are a lot of things that we love. And one of the ways that we can see if we're reacting is how protective we come, how protective we become when God starts going after money. And, and here's the reason why. Money is a powerful 
reality. It's, it's a powerful uh, gift. It's a powerful tool. It is powerful and needs to be respected. I think God's people need to understand that money has power, and so many of us don't understand the power that money has on our hearts and on culture. And so what we do is we just pray for more of it. Like our, our deepest prayer for money is, God, give me more. And could it be, if we don't understand and respect its power and understand how our affections are, that our prayer for more could actually be a curse if God answers it? There's not many of us who worry when we get a raise. We rejoice. We rejoice. Why do we rejoice when we get a raise? God's blessed me. Hallelujah. I mean, we have the most charismatic services when we get a raise. We're lifting our hands. We're thanking God. We're like, man, praise God. I just got a raise. But not many of us are like, am I going to be affected by the way I see myself, the way I engage with the world, the way that I steward it? Am I going to use these things that God gives me the way he wants me to use them? I tell you what we do do when, 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 when we get given a gift, when we, have, uh, when, we, when we get pregnant, we start asking those questions, right? We start going, uh, can I handle this? Uh, is this, am I going to be able to raise them right? Am I going to mess them up? Am I going to steward them well? Am I going to take care? We start really thinking of the responsibilities. Yes, they're a gift, but we also think of the responsibilities. Here, here's the thing. Children are a gift from God. Can we say amen to that? But we know they come with some responsibilities. You didn't say amen to that one. I'm, I'm going to give you another chance. But they come with some responsibilities. Amen. And so you feel the weight of not just having it, you feel the weight of stewarding it and taking care of it and, and being generous towards them. And the realities are God's gifts, even if they come in the form of money, should have a sense of celebration, but they should have a sense of this is powerful. And I respect this. So our hope in this is that we will talk about our relationship to money more than how you should take care of your money. Listen, there's a lot of resources out there. If you need help on how to take care of your money, there's a lot of resources out there. But this series is not focusing on that. And so while a lot of churches do a lot of talking about money, you know, you hear in culture, people are like, man, churches, all they talk about is about money. Redemption does not have that problem. Matter of fact, they might have the opposite problem. We barely talk about it. We put our offering boxes like in the back. Don't worry about it. You don't have to give, you know. We don't even often bring it up in services the reality is Jesus talked about money a lot. Not because he wanted their money, 
but because he wanted their affections. And the reality is, we might be heading into some dangerous territory on equipping the saints, the disciples of Christ, and guarding their affections and their hearts towards something that could have real power. Can we just admit something? In our culture, money is pretty idolized. In our culture. Not in us, right? No, 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 no. Not in us. It's out there, not in here. So think of this. Jesus, in the story we just read in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter, what I, I know we're there, 12. I got it right here. I just was trying to put numbers together. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Jesus is speaking, and right in the middle of his speaking, someone yells out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now listen, I've done a lot of preaching. And a lot of teaching, but I haven't had this experience where somebody just yells out right in the middle of it. Hey, tell my brother. I can just picture this room, right? You're teaching, the brothers are having a fight over how much finances is going to go which direction. And right in the middle of the service, if you will, uh, they just yell out, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me a slice of the pie. What I, what I love about this is so often when we sit under good teaching or even Jesus teaching, we're not worried about how it's affecting our heart. We really think our brother should hear this one. Well, this would be a good sermon for this person. Huh? Definitely not for me, but my brother needs this one. Especially my brother who is ripping me off. Isn't it amazing how many of us want to see Jesus work when it helps us get what we want? Right? Lord, would you just break in and convict my business partner to just give me my bonus? It's unjust, it's unfair, and we're bringing all kinds of prayers to Jesus. Jesus, I need you right now to work in their hearts to get me what I want. We want Jesus to fix our issues as we see them. Y'all got quiet on me. Let me put it my way. I want Jesus to fix my issues as I see them, not you all. Have you ever felt this way? Where you have an issue and you are in the midst of an issue and you can't even sit in the midst of Jesus' teaching because your mind is overwhelmed with an issue that's left unresolved, particularly around finances. Let me just ask it to you this way. Have you ever been in church with somebody who owes you money and it's hard to worship with them because you're thinking they haven't even paid me yet? It's difficult to do. 
Money changes your relationship with other people. Can you say amen to that? When somebody owes you something and they go buy something, you're like, how could they buy that without paying me first? We don't want to see them grow. We don't want to see them succeed. We don't want to see them have any, any sort of financial blessings. How could they have all that when, when, when I have all of these things and, and, and I want my part? You see, the reality is we see our issues through this lens of this thing that is now mediating not just our relationship with God, but can we just be honest? Money affects our relationships with one another. That that's why God says what's really competing for our affections is not just God and Satan. It's God and money. Because the reality is money is mediating a relationship that you have with itself and with each other. Now this becomes a very important part of how we live in relationship not only to money but to each other. And so now this brother has a hard time being a brother with a family member because of money. So he goes to God right in the middle, goes to Jesus right in the middle of a sermon and just says, fix this thing for me, Jesus. And Jesus says something pretty, pretty interesting. Because here's the interesting part. When you take stuff to Jesus, he'll oftentimes avoid what you think is the issue, and he'll bring up the real issue. This is why sometimes I think you all don't bring stuff to Jesus. Because you bring stuff to Jesus, and he goes after your heart. You're like, God, could you fix this relationship? They owe me money. And he goes, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about greed. This is what Jesus does. While he wants to fix a relational problem that he calls a financial injustice between brothers, Jesus goes, who am I that you want me to arbitrate this inheritance? Who am I, he says, that, uh, that you're wanting me to come between you. Now, can we just be honest? If anybody in that whole crowd was qualified to kind of be a judge, it would be Jesus. He'd be a great judge. But he says, who's appointed me judge as arbiter between you? Then he says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not exist in the abundance of possessions. Here's a brother who's like, Jesus, fix this issue between us. And he goes, watch out for greed. Guard your heart against greed. See, Jesus seems to say, who made me judge? But then he does something that no other judge could do. He addresses the heart rather than the issue. This is actually one of my favorite things about how Jesus interacts in Scripture. He's constantly showing 
that he wants the heart. Because out of the heart flows all other issues. But notice what he says to him. Be on guard against greed, and then he makes an incredible statement that goes like this. Life does not exist from the abundance of possessions. And we could all say amen to it until you stop for a minute. Not that you did say amen. I'm just saying we could say amen. We could all say amen to it until we pause for a minute and really think of the weight of that. That's the American dream. Jesus just described the water you swim in every day of your life. The American dream is the abundance of possession. I was talking to a friend of mine. I just preached a youth camp this weekend, got back late last night uh, from Williams, which it was freezing up there, snow everywhere, and I did not take snow clothes with me. So my fingers are falling off and my ears are big and they're like crispy, you know, and I'm trying to walk through there and I'm walking around and I'm talking to these different youth pastors and a friend of mine started talking about, yeah, this, this kid right here really wants to, you know, be rich and famous and, and all these kinds of things. And we're having a conversation and I stopped like, and I stopped and I'm like, what kid have you ever met that says they want to be poor? It's just not a thing. When people start dreaming, they dream of wealth and abundance. And the reality of that is they're taught all of their lives by their families, their schools, the, every part of their TV shows they watch, they're taught all of their life that life exists in how much they have. So when Jesus says this, it should hit us in some kind of way. Because the world you swim in day in and day out, if you're just kind of floating with the current of culture, you will feel like I am not living unless I have abundance. When they talk about the high life or the good life or the blessed life, it's not moderation. It's abundance. And Jesus speaks directly to this, what do you think life is? What do you think life is? I'm, I'm talking about the good life. I'm talking about the blessed life. If you were giving your definition of the blessed life, hashtag blessed good life, what would be your definition? I guarantee you that for the majority of it, it would be wrapped up in material possessions. And we don't often recognize how counter that is to the gospel when 
It's just normal to us. What he's saying is, be on guard. Guard against greed. And he goes after this brother's heart who just wants a fair shake. Can you see how Jesus sweetly confronts and comes against the very things that are going after our hearts. He calls out the things that we call normal and he calls them out and says, be careful. Can I just warn you all against something? I think sometimes we think that the things that are keeping us from God are what we would call sins. Like, this addiction I have is really keeping me from God. This, this, uh, this uh, heaviness, uh, you know, this, uh, this uh, real sin that I, that I want to do, the sexual immorality or, or all these kinds of things that we would put in the category of sin. Because whatever it is that you think this bondage and this addiction, we are so sin conscious that the church has become like these people who are just trying to run away from sin. And, and the biggest thing we should be doing is running away from sin. But could it be that the biggest dangers in our life are not what we call sin, but it's what we call normal. The normal patterns of life that are, we're so used to that we don't realize they're conforming us to the patterns of the world. What we call normal could be the very thing we should be guarding ourselves against. And so I want to say this, as I think Jesus is saying this, instead of guarding yourself against getting ripped off, you should be guarding yourself against greed. You should be guarding yourself against greed. And then he tells a story, like Jesus loves to do. He tells a story, and here's his story. He says, a guy gets surplus and his first reaction is, I'm building a bigger barn. I'm building a bigger barn, and I'm going to chill and throw parties and have the life. I'm going to build a bigger barn. And if you look at this, you could think Jesus' story is a little bit of a, a buzzkill, if you will. Like the dude just succeeded, and Jesus' response is to you, you're a fool. Because your life is going to be required of you tonight. Can we just imagine this? What we would call a successful businessman, Jesus calls a fool right now. I hope you're thinking. Because there's nothing that God has against surplus. 
Actually, God gives abundance and surplus to his people all the time. There's nothing God has against blessing his people with surplus. It's when surplus starts controlling your life. Because what was the man's response when he got surplus? It was, I'm building a bigger barn and I'm going to party. Because most people, if they're honest, are selfish. What greed reveals is that money has always been about you. And what you want and what you desire and what you can do with it. And it's always been about you having and consuming and buying and looking famous and building bigger barns. And what Jesus says to this man is you're a fool. Not because he has surplus, but because in the kingdom, when people are blessed, it is to be a... You all heard this before? You are blessed to be a blessing. When God has any kinds of gifts that he gives to his kids, it's not just so they can turn in on themselves and now live the high life. It is so that they can become a conduit of that blessing into the world. When, when God blesses, it's always to bless through us, not just to us. And his instinct was what sin is, a radical curvature on self to think of what would I want and how could I live and to build a bigger barn. Can I just say it this way? God's not afraid of a bigger barn, and he's also not afraid of surplus. He also is not just trying to give you less money. The reality is it's the love of money. It's the selfishness. It's the greed that is affecting your heart. Can we just say a couple of things as we go into a time of communion together? Can we say, our Father God, he's generous. Can you say amen to that? I think what we in the West have done is made our Father God a good steward, a shrewd businessman, and a really hard worker. Because when we think of who we idolize as parents, we think of dads, moms, or whatever. That, that dad's a really hard worker. He's shrewd with his money, and, he, and he's just constant. You know what our Father wants to be known as first? generous. I think many of you fathers have sold yourself short, that you want to be known as a hard worker, you want to be known shrewd with your money and wise, and you really did a good job at taking care of your money. Your kids are not going to get to the end of their life and go, man, my dad did a great job at taking care of his money. You want to know what they're going to be blown away by with how generous you are with it. That everything 
that was his, all the riches that God had, he emptied himself and became poor. You know this is scripture, right? I'm not, I'm not just making it. He became poor, according to Philippians, so that in his poverty, we, his children, become rich. That we serve a generous God and we say so much amen to that. Why? Because God's been so generous to us. But can we just admit that part of the gospel is not just how generous God has been to us. It's how generous God is through us. Because your God is generous, here is a practical thing that means his children are generous. You want to know how the world's going to know that we're his children? It's we image him. Not with shrewd business deals and, and bigger barns, but extreme generosity. The type of generosity that's like, um, that seems a little bit like, uh, seems a little bit like, hey, Hey, the widow with the two mites, you should just keep those two mites. The type of generosity that makes shrewd people a little nervous. The type of generosity that is rooted in a God who lavishes grace and mercy upon people. And as we enter into prayer, here's what I want to do. Give you this quote Pure capitalism says all your money belongs to God. Pure Marxism says your money belongs to the state. Christianity says all your money belongs to God, and we should radically be generous with it as Jesus was. That's Tim Keller. You see, different political spheres have a view on how money is to be used and distributed, but the gospel it's all about all money is God's and we should be radically generous as our God is generous. Don't be scared of money. Don't be scared of it. But don't love it. Don't be scared of it, but don't love it. Here's what I mean by this. Guard yourself against greed. And God has given you a crazy weapon so greed won't take over your heart. It's called generosity. It's called generosity. Generosity is war against greed. It's war against you turning in on yourself and building bigger barns and living like a fool in the kingdom and calling yourself shrewd. Be generous because that's the right relationship we should have with money. Sure. There's many other things that God calls us to in our relationship to money, but generosity is top of the list.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for the ways that you have blessed us with so many gifts. We thank you that we are products of your generosity. You have spoiled us as your children. Not just financially, God, there's so many ways that you have provided. My God has provided all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the ways you have provided for me. I thank you for the ways you have provided for our church. I thank you for the ways you've provided for these families. And we know that there are people in this room who are struggling with finances in their life. And they're having a hard time paying bills. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that as they are in the midst of that struggle, they would be reminded of a generous father who provides for them. Would you show them? your provision. But Lord, today I am praying for a Western church that for the most part has a bad relationship with money. I am praying that you would guard our hearts against the greed of this world. And that our relationship with money would not be rooted in selfishness and greed. But that we as a people would be so filled by your generosity that your generosity just spills out of us. We want to be conduits of blessing and generosity to this world. God, I pray that radical things start happening. That people are generous with their tithes and donations, but that, that, Lord, they would be generous with providing meals for other people. Lord, I pray that you would put on their heart bills that they could help pay for those who are struggling. Oh, God, I pray that someone who is owed a debt that you would put on their hearts to forgive someone a debt. And when asked why, they would boast in how generous Jesus is to them. Let us reflect your generosity as Redemption Church. God, you have given us so much. And we believe that it is wisdom for us, and it is righteousness for us, and it is your grace for us to be able to be generous with all that you have entrusted to us.